You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hey, this is Sonal standing in for Georgia Tolley on The Agenda. And on the show today, we discussed our consumer rights. What do we need to know when something doesn't quite go to plan? When you feel like a company has let you down in terms of what they've promised What is your recourse to action? We also spoke about some major buzzwords in work-life trends. That's everything from having a lazy girl job to increasing authenticity and even coffee badging. You can stay tuned to find out what all of those words mean. And cost of living has a new survey coming up in the UAE over the course of next year. But we wanted to revisit the topic for now. And we got Steve Cronin, an expert on the line, to tell us what we can do to plan ahead better for next year. Finally, there are some new schools to watch here in the UAE that are making it to global rankings. All of that to come on the Agenda podcast. Good morning. Hope you're having a wonderful start to the day. I suppose it's midday already for some people who get up early. Uh, you are tuned into the agenda with Sonal Rupani. I've been standing in for Georgia over the course of the last two weeks. She will be back at the start of the new year when she's back from her holidays as well. And Milani has joined me this week. Hello. Milani. Good morning. Good morning, Sonal. Good morning, everyone. Morning. <laughs> Have you feel? Do you feel fully recovered from the Christive, uh, the Christmas festivities and the Boxing Period at this point? I think not yet because you know the family's here. Here, right, yeah. so uh, we've been touring the tourists. <laughs> I mean, it's so busy for you. You decided to work this week. You also have guests in town. I mean, with guests, it's one of those things where it's always nice when they come. You always enjoy it, and then the last day, you're just waiting. Yes, waiting for everybody to leave. To exactly. have your, your space and your time again. <laughs> now, Milani, one of the topics we're discussing on the show today are when you, as a consumer, have felt you've been treated unfairly. And, you know, of course, there's the legal aspect to this. There's an emotional aspect to this, right? Because do you think you know what your rights are as a consumer? Not everything, to be very honest. I think for some, for example, you buy a product which is defective and it's not working properly when you, after you bought it, then you know that you can file a complaint, right? You can yeah. do it online or there are other ways like a call center of a government uh, department. But for other um, instances, like for example, for experiential purchases, you don't really know in that instant what to do, right? Exactly, because sometimes the case isn't that simple. It's not just a faulty product. It's not, you know, a clear kind of black and white cut case, but you feel hmm, I paid for a certain experience. I paid for something. And I feel like that wasn't quite met up to standards. Have you ever had any issues on this front? Any stories that stand out to you? I think uh, actually this is happening more uh, frequently recently. Like when you go to a restaurant and you order, and for example, they don't have it ready on the, uh, it's on the menu, but it's not yet ready or it will take a lot of time for them to prepare that kind of meal or dish. Then they will not say it right up front. Yeah. And then they you will order and you will order and expecting that all the food will come all together in one go. Yeah, as if you're sharing family style. Yes, So you expect to eat at once as opposed to... Yes, and then, but the other dishes will come 30 minutes, 40 minutes late. And if you are a hungry consumer, it's like... you know, it, you're past the hunger already. You and finished then, your meal already. It? And the then you have one the, dish that comes. I exactly. That's happened to me So before. it's like 30, 40 minutes and it's happening more frequently. And even last night when my, my brother and the, the rest of the family were in Marina last night, it happened 30 minutes. Do you send it back? 
if there's one dish that comes 30 minutes, you finish your meal, and you think, what am I going to do with we this? We don't usually send it back. Yeah. But there was a, um, a time, I remember my husband was saying, maybe we should just maybe get a refund. But I was thinking, maybe they're already preparing the food, or yeah. it's almost finished, and it's about to be delivered to your table. So I was like, should we really you know, return it? Or we, mm. we just usually accept yeah, I think that's what a lot of people do, especially against a big corporation. You feel like you don't necessarily have a lot of rights. You don't feel there's a recourse to action. I went to a concert in Abu Dhabi recently. Uh, it started almost three hours late. What? So the doors were meant to open at nine. The concert was supposed to start at 10. And you think, okay, you expect there's certain kind of general expectations. You think, okay, the concert's going to start an hour late. Mm-hmm. That's Which is, you know, a bit Within reason, and you kind of expect it. The concert started almost three hours late. At this point, it's um, it's almost one in the morning. My gosh. And so we long. have to drive back to Dubai afterwards. Oh my gosh. This is the first time that I'm hearing a concert starting at almost 1 a.m. Almost 1 a.m. And... <laughs> Yeah, and we actually, to talk a little bit more about this subject matter, we have an expert in the studio with us because, you know, I thought when it came to this particular story, I was ready to leave. I thought, okay, we've been waiting. They haven't even opened the doors. It's been more than two hours. By the time this concert starts, it's going to be too late for me to enjoy it, really, because I'm going to be so tired from having worked a full day and then being there on a Friday evening. I'd rather just leave, but then I thought, I will have lost my money. I'll have no recourse to get my money back mm. for this ticket. I'll have paid for literally nothing to drive down to Abu Dhabi, sit here for two hours, and then drive back. It would have been such a disappointment. Yeah. And so we did actually dig through the terms and conditions. And it said, you have a right to refund if the event is four hours late. So we missed our refund by one hour. But again, it just kind of gets you thinking. It still still felt like a powerless situation. Yes. And we'd love for you to share your stories with us as well, if you have any on 4001. Uh, we do have an expert in with us, May Asim Ibrahim. She's an associate at NYK Law Firm. May, thanks for coming into the studio for a chat on this. It's actually my pleasure. And, you know, you've heard our stories there. There are so many things where we're speaking to you from a legal standpoint. But, of course, there are so many things that are different. There's the legal case and then there's that that case where you feel like you've been wronged in some way, right? See, another, like, very common example I could give you is, you know, say you're going to a store to purchase a dress. And say the store knows that that same dress would be on sale within a week. Yeah. Then actually, by law, the store is mandated to inform you. That you I have did not know the that. right to receive the perch, the pro, uh, the product that you're buying at the discounted rate than actually buying the original price. So they should inform you of that also. And if you're put in such a situation, then you could also raise a consumer complaint for this. Really? Yeah. There is a law. There is. And that's in the consumer law, basically. Yes, so do you have to ask them? Are they obligated to tell you what one week before they go on sale? Are they obligated to say They're before you make any purchases, yeah. you should know that we're on sale in a week? They are obligated to inform you, but you can also ask them, right? And see, that's the thing. Um, so in the consumer law, that's the federal law of 15 of 2020. That's the main law. And then the recent law is the executive regulations to the main law. Right. So... See, there are a code of conduct for suppliers. They are supposed to be very transparent and make the consumer aware. Uh-huh. And we, like we as consumers, our rights are also properly protected under the law. So if you feel like you've been put in such a spot, then you can file a consumer complaint. Now, if it happens in Dubai, then you can do it with the Dubai Economic Department. 
There is an app, there is a website, that's the consumerrights.ae, or there's even a call center. I want to get into the process, but first let's understand the law a bit better. Tell us briefly how our consumer rights are protected here in the UAE, because there were updates to the law in October of this year. What were some of the changes specifically that were made? So the recent law came into place, uh, came into effect on the 14th of October, to be precise. Now, um, the law also brings in, you know, criminal penalties uh, for certain supplier mismanagement or misconducts. Now, um, so the recent updates of the law are mainly, for example, suppliers cannot you know, add unilateral clauses to a contract that sort of diminishes the consumer's rights. This is deemed, that contract is deemed null and void. Mm -hmm. Then supply, like for example, warranties and maintenance, you're supposed to be given a written contract with all the specifications by the supplier. The invoices are supposed to have the suppliers or the commercial agents uh, register number they're supposed to have the tax number they're supposed to have all the details of the product if it's a perishable item then they're supposed to have the expiry date everything clearly mentioned and it should also be in arabic mm -hmm. and we have a question actually that's already come in from you from one oh, of our listeners okay. amanda said urgent help needed brought a musical instrument for christmas got it home there's something detached inside which i know cannot be fixed properly without a major job rebuilding the instrument can i demand a replacement or will i have to go with a fix really not happy. So I guess her point is, is that technically they might be able to sort of fix what's already there, but she feels that even if they fix it, it won't be proper. Can she demand a replacement in that case? So she can demand. So first thing she has to make sure is the place that she bought it from. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it would be an online e-commerce website. She said she's about to go into the shop. So into it the seems shop. like it's retail. Okay, then not a problem. She can demand for a replacement or a refund of the whole price. And it is the supplier's duty to adhere to it. And if they don't, then she can also file a consumer complaint for it. And also to make sure that she has the original invoice in her hand. Right. There you go, Amanda. I hope you've taken a little voice note of that so you can play it back to them in the shop <laughs> that you have a legal expert who's actually advised you on that particular situation. I want to talk about a specific scenario. Actually, one of the reasons we're talking about this today is because we saw some stories circulating online, especially when it comes to flying. Let's mm. say you experience heavy, heavy delays that are impacting your trip in a significant way. You know, oftentimes with travel, you plan ahead. If yeah. your flight is delayed in such a way, it could have a knock-on effect on your hotel booking and a lot of spends that yeah. you've already made, an experience that you might have already paid for that you'll yeah. miss, et cetera. You know, when there's that kind of major inconvenience, are there, I suppose, in that in that case, especially with airlines, there are fixed terms and conditions when you purchase a ticket. So is the onus on you to fight for compensation if you think it's deserved? What are your rights when it comes to flying and airlines? So see, first thing to always note down is the terms and the conditions that you agree to. Now, if you feel that's unilateral in nature, then always go back to the agent. See, I would always say if you can get the complaint resolved with the person directly, as a first step, then, you know, it's advice. Why, why not try it that way? Go back to the agent and address your problem. And if they're, you know, not being helpful, then file a consumer complaint immediately. Now, with the business that you file it from, you file it under the consumer to business complaint. Mm -hmm. Now, once this is done, if your claim for compensation is justified, then you will have, um, you know, a, a remedy that is 
suitable for you. Okay, and so this will work with airlines as well, basically. This should work with airlines as well, yes. Yeah. I want to get some of these questions directly to you. No name on this particular one, but it says, what about telecom providers? We recently faced a lot of connectivity issues with a particular service provider. They sent three technicians over the course of four weeks, and it wasn't resolved. My husband was fed up, canceled the contract, signed up with another provider. The original provider now want us to pay a ridiculous cancellation fee, yet they were not able to resolve the issue themselves. Can we dispute the charge? they are requesting when they couldn't resolve it and we changed providers because of this to be honest i mean my friend faced the exact same issue really yeah and when it was not fixed he chose to cancel the contract and obviously to get another um you know sort of a wi-fi modem from another telecom provider mm -hmm. and i mean you can't expect us to sit and you know face connectivity issues right even though we've tried to address them now even in his scenario what the original telecom provider did was they said that since you terminated the contract early, mm. we want you to pay a ridiculous cancellation charge. And he kept saying that he will not do such thing because it was their fault. Yeah. And they kept saying that, oh, there will be penalties added on top of the cancellation charge. Right. Now, see, this is an ideal scenario for you to raise this with the consumer, like, you know, to raise this through a consumer complaint because... This is definitely, you know, it's sort of like a back and forth fight until you go raise the complaint and you have a formal decision made, right? Yep. Now, if we're going to get into how we raise the complaint, then, you know, like I said earlier, you can do it on the website. And you what's the website? It's consumerrights.ae for okay. Dubai. And for any other Emirates, you can uh, raise it within. Uh, so if, for example, it's Abu Dhabi, then you can do Abu Dhabi Economic Department website. Mm -hmm. Or if it's Sharjah, then there's the Sharjah Economic De Department, so forth and so on. Yep. Now, in Dubai, it's consumerrights.ae. There is an app and there is also a call center. Okay. And what information do you need to provide? How long does this process take? So the form is very easy to fill up. Okay. You just have to fill up your details. Uh, whom you're making the complaint against. If it's a business, you need to provide their details. And then you need to provide, um, you need to have all the documents in place. Mm -hmm. So this is why I said earlier also, if you're purchasing anything or you're availing a service, then it's best to hold on to the original invoices or the receipts or at least clear copies of it. Right. And then you need to sort of fill out this description box and write what the exact problem is. And then you submit the complaint. Now, initially, you will get a call from the department to, you know, uh, for you to answer further questions that they may have. And then they will call the company that you've made the complaint against or the person if, you know, from scenario to scenario. Mm -hmm. so, and yeah. this is the sort of thing where you mentioned earlier, it's important to do it as soon as possible. Yes. But can you, is there a timeline where it's too late to raise a complaint? So if you ask me, the law does not really provide a limitation of timeline in mm. such scenarios but logically speaking it is advisable to have it addressed ASAP right and how often usually before a decision is made I'm sure it varies per emirate and per system that, that so you end up using on an overall scenario they say that um, the decisions have to be made within 10 days from mm -hmm. the date of filing the complaint but it can take a little time depending on how serious the complaint is and um, you know you should have it. It is way much quicker than other sort of complaints. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Okay. And, you know, what do you do? Now, Daniel sent a message in. It's a bit long. I'm not going to go into all of the details of it, but sort of to summarize the gist of it, Daniel did raise a complaint. Mm -hmm. He wasn't happy with how the complaint was handled. Can you complain about the complaint process? (laughs) What if you're not happy with the way your complaint is is addressed? Actually, you can complain about the complaint process. So, like, say you're not happy with the decision that's made. Then what you do is you file a grievance to the head of the competent authority within 15 days from the date of such decision. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they will then take a decision within 30 days. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it's going to be looked into more seriously at that at the appeal stage. You know, another issue that um, I think is a, a slightly new one is mm. typically you're dealing with larger, more established companies, right? Mm. But there are small homegrown businesses that we see a lot more of nowadays. I like to support them personally. I think a lot of people do yeah. like to do that as well. But when you're dealing with just a single person or a two-person business, you know, there's no departments. There's, you know, it doesn't have those established processes. What happens when a product isn't as advertised or it doesn't arrive at all? I suppose you could technically go for a complaint against them as well, but I feel you obviously try to resolve it with them directly. But is it is it any different when it's a small homegrown business in terms of how you typically handle it? See, they're, see everyone's treated the same at the end of the day, mm. even if it's a big corporation or even if it's a small company. Now, even homegrown businesses are to ha- be registered, right? Um, and they have to have they have they have to have the license to perform whatever activities they're performing. So, yeah, in an ideal scenario, it would be best to just get it resolved with them initially. But then again, if nothing's working out and you want to secure your rights, then, you know, you have to go for a complaint. Yeah. Another common concern is banking. I think the financial industry is an area where people feel like uh, processes are, are, are more difficult than they should be or that they feel um, that it's, you know, a difficult scenario. When, when we're talking about coming up against a larger company, and you're just, you know, an individual and you feel like it's really difficult with any larger industry. We talked about banking. We talked about travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about telecoms. Mm-hmm. It's it's common that people might feel powerless against a bigger agency or, or you know, some, some agency that really has dominance in the field. See, I would say you don't need to feel powerless because even if it's a big agency, through the law, if required, the ministry can even, you know, send uh, people for testing the products or, you know, going for an inspection or anything, depending on what your complaint is. So really, it doesn't matter if it's a big agency or a small time supplier, because if appropriate steps are to be taken, then they would. For example, um, okay, one thing that we all know is, you know, adulteration on food or, for example, um, you know, some supermarkets or some suppliers change expiration dates on food products, right? Wow, yeah. And say you've come across something as such, that has to be raised with the Ministry of Health, right? Mm-hmm. And in such scenarios, it doesn't matter if, um, you know, the person on the other end or the company on the other end is a, is a big time player or a big company. Such things endanger the livelihood of the public. And in such situations, whatever... You know, whatever sort of inspection needs to be done, even the authorities can, you know, go for, you know, a disposal of all the products and even, you know, putting a suspension on the license and the activities. I mean, all of these are serious offenses. And, you know, it has 
penalties, criminal penalties within the law itself. May, thank you so much for coming in for a chat on this subject. You've helped a lot of our listeners out with this one. Uh, It was my pleasure. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. I am very excited for this next topic we have coming up on the agenda because it's something obviously that relates to everybody. When it comes to work life, there have definitely been some trends. There have been some buzzwords. In fact, the BBC in their work life category put out 10 work buzzwords that took over in 2023. And we wanted to discuss these in more depth. So in the studio with us is Hamza Zawali. He is career coach, professional recruiter for Executive Search, and he is the author of the 30-day job search. So he's got all the areas of expertise for us. Hamza, thank you so much for coming into the studio Most for a chat. Welcome. Now, let's talk talk about some of the, the key trends and words that are coming out over the course of 2023. We'll start with this article, but I'm sure you have some observations of your own and, and things that you've seen here, um, things that also specifically that maybe apply more in the UAE than elsewhere. But one of the, I'm seeing some some real th- themes here when it comes to some of the, the buzzwords that BBC has pointed out. The first one I'm going to put to you is lazy girl job. Mm. Have you heard this one? Well, I did recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's something that's more, more and more prevalent. I think a lot of these words are going to, are definitely going to be um, leading us towards people wanting more freedom, more choice, more space uh, with their own time, realizing that time is the most precious asset, whereas perhaps um, in a um, developing country, money is going to be more precious than than time, whereas in Dubai and the UAE, which which is a super developed society, obviously, time is going to be the, the, you know, the ultimate thing that people want the most. Yeah, for sure. And the lazy girl job, it describes a remote, well-paying, relatively low-stress role. And as you've mentioned there, it's, it's a lot of people pushing back for having that time, for mm. reducing the demands that are put on them. It's a trend we've definitely seen over the course of this year. And you know what I find interesting about some of these terms is they're not necessarily positive in terms of how they're initially phrased, right? It's not phrased as, um, you know, setting boundaries girl, which has no ring to it, but I didn't have time to think of something. Um, But you know what I mean? It's not about positive themes like setting boundaries or, you know, um, embracing life, lazy girl job. It's like really digging into the idea of let's let's reclaim that. Yeah. That and and we don't care if it's a negative word. Mm. We're making it cool. You know, and so I think that's interesting. It's because it's not just that. You've also got bare minimum Mondays, which mm. makes the list. The idea betwi- behind bare minimum Mondays, and of course, a lot of these coming up on TikTok, these terms. Yeah. That's why they're catchy like this, right? You had a TikToker by named Marissa Mays who said, the cure for scary Sundays. Or sorry, Sunday scaries, which is that feeling, that sinking feeling before heading back to work um, after having the weekend off. Instead of really going hard on a Monday, just go for a bare minimum Monday. Mm. I mean, is this something when you hear this, um, is there actually something kind of positive behind this? The idea that you don't have to go that hard at at the start of a week? I'm going to say something a little bit thought provoking here. Um, You know, I, I I think this is almost like a dangerous mindset mm. um you know cities like dubai success uh, successful companies successful societies have been built on hard work but they haven't been built on hard work from um, necessarily people that hate their job they've been built on hard work from people that actually 
are passionate about their job. And I feel that when you no longer happy and you find cope out, uh, you know, techniques to not be enduring something you don't necessarily like much. I think the, the, the this is just a symptom for perhaps a wake up call that says, well, how long are you going to do these you know, bare minimum Mondays or, 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 or whatever, how long is this going to last before the employer um, tackles you or before, before something else or before it becomes a Tuesday something? I, I think the, the search for something that you enjoy, maybe not something that you're passionate by, but something that like a game, something that you're having fun with, that you truly enjoying playing is it should should always be on the back of everyone's mind, especially if we start, you know, these cop out mechanisms. Um, for me, this is a symptom of someone that needs to be, um, you know, searching beyond that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a lot. And just to play devil's advocate with that one. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily love their jobs. There might be a search. Maybe they've kept searching and they haven't found it. I think there is a reality for some who feel like, oh, I'm not really finding what I want to do at the least. I don't need to be giving my whole life to my work. Because I think for my generation, something that I've seen with sort of older millennials, I'll call myself, a big trend was you got out of university and you just gave every hour of your working day to work. This to me seems like a pushback of... Sure, I'll work hard or sure, I'll do what I need to do, but I'm not willing to give you my whole life because there was a big trend of, of that, I think, for, for a large period of time. Um, so is it necessarily just, oh, I'm not passionate about my job or is it is there something here that has to do with, you know, employers trying to take too much for, for a long period of time and employees trying to win back some rights? And I think this is a fair point that you're making, honestly. I think I think that there's there's always going to be this tension between employers and employees. There's always going to be at, at the end of the day, what I like to to um to always remind people is that a job is like you selling your services. Your it's your company, it's your business, it's your brand, it's you. And you're not the employee. If there's one negative word that I don't necessarily like is is the fact that you're being employed into you know some sort of use for someone else an employee and, and I don't like it I would rather remind always to remind people that they are entrepreneurs that they are selling their services to whoever company that are called employees doesn't matter they're being paid for their services but if they are into a field where they are selling their services, they think like entrepreneurs, they should also design their life accordingly. And I 100% agree. We, we know people that find, found something that they truly enjoy doing, but not in terms of passionate. That's another word I absolutely mm -hmm. hate because it puts the bar so high right. that, that I think passion is the exception. But I think having fun, having fun is actually... Um, a, a good good thing to do. Another thing as well, Sonal, is, is the fact that when, when people earn a salary, oftentimes it stops there. They consume the salary with the way, the way they want. And sometimes you're right, they feel that they've been, you know, um, almost, um, you know, owned by the employer completely because let's face it, it's not just the working hours. It's also when you go home, you have to, you, you, we are more connected than 
any other time in the hist in history. So your emails, your WhatsApp, your boss is always here. And and I think that as long as people design their life and then have a job they enjoy, but in line with the life that they want, it can work. But the, this search is complicated, but complicated doesn't mean we don't have to do it. Yeah. We, we, it's worth it. And anything that's worth it is usually a little bit difficult. We go through jobs we don't like, but, but the moment we find cop-outs, every single time we find cop-outs, we actually build a prison around ourselves because we make the pain more enduring, which, which makes us stay or remain in the situation much longer because it's not as terrible. And, and at the end of the day, it's unbelievable how many times I would tell people that, you know, this is their job, it's a business, their employer at the end of the day is not looking for working hours, is not, is looking for results. And if we're able to find something we enjoy, find ways, methods, recipes, scripts, techniques, methods that can help us get the result faster and say to the employer, look, can we agree on something? I have children, for example, or I have, you know, practice, sport practice or whatever. Can I, can you give me an objective? And if I finish my objective, if I'm super, super, you know, efficient at work, you allow me to leave a little bit earlier or you mm. allow me one or two days at home where I can be as long as I reach my objective. This is the deal. And, and usually, you know, so now people will say, um, no, it's not the company policy. All you have to do is it's fine. Can we just try one week? And then if you don't like it, we go back. Right. If you're able to get that, and I think these are the battles that we need to conduct where employers and employees are not necessarily on two opposite teams, right. but as long as they can find some sort of, you know, they extend their hands and they can find some sort of agreement, I think there is space for both, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting conversation, obviously. I think it's interesting you call out the idea, the differentiation between liking your job versus passion as well, because just looking at some survey results from over in the US, where 65% of US workers say they're happy with their job, only 20% are passionate it about there their jobs. A couple of other topics that have come up, Hamza, uh, one that really struck both of us was the word authentic. Now, the idea of this in the workplace, the idea that people can express their individuality a bit more, they can um, share, you know, experiences with colleagues, they can talk about mental health, a more kind of authentic and intimate workplace instead of really putting on a front and having to be constantly professional. This idea of kind of letting go of that a little bit and just being yourself because you're spending so much time at work. Is, is this a trend that you've been seeing? I think, yeah, for sure. This is a trend. I think um, HR has evolved, first of all, in mm -hmm. inside companies where uh, diversity and inclusion is, is more and more prevalent. Um, this is the best practice now. Everyone... Um, is either implementing it or has implemented some part of it. Uh, number two is also the fact that employers recognize that in order to keep uh, people happier, you better make them safe to be vulnerable. So if they are vulnerable enough to be able to speak, to um, you know expose themselves the way they are, to speak their mind without being judged, it, it, it so happens that they've found that they remain longer because let's not forget it. Work is, is, is a little bit like a tribe, a different tribe we go to. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's a little bit like a village we go to. Um, and we have, I would say, a different personality oftentimes when we are at work compared to when we are with family or friends. And the fact that we have to put a front and to please a policy or culture or an employer, um, otherwise we, we might risk losing that job or get into trouble. That is, I would say, so uh, up to the 90s, where, where people had to wear certain things, where people had to follow certain procedures, etc., etc. Whereas now the expression of oneself is so important to someone's career, it needs to be so much in line that employers are saying, well, we're going to lose out if we uh, push these, let's say, push squares into, into round holes. If we continuously do that, we're going to lose amazing people. And they're realizing that it's up to us to make round holes and square holes and triangle holes mm. so that our company is inclusive. Um, and I think that authenticity makes people feel that they build genuine relationships not just with the colleagues but with the work aspect of their life including companies colleagues uh, career projection etc there's a huge element of trust up until recently the level of trust when it comes to employers is is always going to be to a certain point but what what makes people stay and we we headhunt at iris executives we headhunt people all the time mm -hmm. you know what 30 percent of the time people love their employers and they're not going to move even for more money and we we, we say well what's going oh come on this is someone that i invited to my to my wedding this is some and and we would say things like well how usually you tend to keep some sort of distance at least this is this has been the norm or the, the, the common wisdom mm -hmm. um, prevailing. But um, what, what you find is that employers that allow them, their employees to be vulnerable and that are themselves and vulnerable in return tend to build more meaningful uh, relationships. And, and that makes people, you know, you know the expression where that, that says you don't leave a job, you leave, an you, you leave yeah. a manager. Yeah. Well, that makes people not leaving them <laughs> if that makes sense so right of course when you like your manager when you're friends with 100%. your manager as opposed to seeing your manager as somebody that just tells you what you can and can't do as a source of authority it totally changes yeah. the dynamic absolutely you know Hamza we don't usually do this but there's so many topics we still haven't gotten to yet can I keep you on a little bit longer <laughs> of course of course we haven't discussed this sure. I promised it earlier <laughs> I would let you go by 12 but I want to keep you a little longer if that's no okay for you all right we are going to be back in just a few minutes with Hamza because you know in addition to talking about those relationships at work I think it's also interesting to talk about work friendships mm. the importance of those the way that those end as well I saw an article recently that talked about somebody feeling quite bereft because, you know, they had spent years of their life with their work bestie, their work wife, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, the moment the job was over, they didn't hear from them mm -hmm. again. It's a really interesting emotional aspect to that. We have a couple of other buzzwords to go through as well with Hamza.
you're tuned into the agenda with myself, Sonal, and I've convinced our career cro- career coach, Hamza Zoali, to stay with us over the course of the next 10 minutes or so. He's a professional recruiter for Executive Search. He's also author of The 30-Day Job Search. He has brought the book into us, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to continue on. We're going through these buzzwords for 2023 that the BBC has put out, and we've only gotten through a few so far, Hamza. Mm. So there's a couple of other topics I really, really wanted to get to. One of them, which both of us raised an eyebrow to, is coffee badging. And we both thought, what is this? I have, I personally hadn't heard this one. Um, the idea is that as a lot of people have found themselves accustomed to remote work, but then boss is saying, no, you got to come back into the office at least a few days a week to a more hybrid system. An attitude of, and this is according to a June survey from a video conferencing company that showed about 58% of hybrid workers admitted that they went into the office, swiped the work badge, grabbed their morning coffee, and then left work from home for the rest of the day. Literally coming in just to sort of prove a point in the system that I was here, but then not actually working from the office and, and working from home. I mean, that seems pretty extreme to me. Me too. It's, 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 it, where do you begin, right? I, I, and I don't see this as, as um, the person's sort of fault. I think, I think uh, f- my first question is, if, if remote work is working, why do we need hybrid uh, in, that, in those specific companies? Uh, wh- why do we need that to be in place? Um, if there's a reason for it, like meetings with colleagues or things like that, I, mm-hmm. uh, we can, we can, but people usually hate being forced to do something. They will always, always naturally, I think humanly, we will always resist. There's always this level of, and it's not necessarily them being um, dishonest about it, but I think that naturally, if I'm doing my job, I'm, I'm taking all the boxes, I'm, I'm doing everything you ask me and everything is fine. And suddenly you move the goalposts. I found my balance. I found my balance. And mm. suddenly you say, well, we're going to stop that now. Why? Well, company policy. Then, then, yeah, of course, you open yourself to people that are in a way or another going to show some resistance. That's just a one way to show resistance. It's a shame that we use that way. And I think that it would be so much more productive if... Um, People, like-minded people could go and speak to the boss. You know, so now I'm, I'm myself, I'm an employer. I'm an employer yeah. and you have no idea how many times I was wrong, so wrong. I was imagining things, putting new policies in place, changing things. And, and the earlier in my career as a manager, the more mistakes I was, I lost too many amazing people. The, the, the things that I will always remember are those, you know, courageous employees that would team up, come to me and tell me, what are you doing? Hamza, we've been working here for two years. That's what was, everyone is happy. You've got the results. What what, what are you doing? Why? It's making people unhappy. Just to let you know. This saved my company, my life so many times. And I think that sometimes we have this rift between employers and employees where employers will initiate discussions perhaps a little bit easier because they are in a position of authority so it's easier for them they're not going to be fired by the employees if that makes sense Mm. but employees will will feel that if they speak something bad could potentially happen 
I'd rather be on the good side of the bus. And I, th I think that if you are with someone that that thinks like this, um, you're you're not in a good, healthy environment. But I would challenge anyone by saying that most environments, employers are open to criticism because the, the an employer, a manager can only be a manager if he has people with him in the team. If he has good people, he wins the race, he wins the game. But when good people are no longer happy and he doesn't have a clue and these unhappy people are, you, you know, um, quite quite quitting or, or coffee badging or, or doing these things, you know, it doesn't serve them, doesn't because employers are going to see it one way or another, you know. Uh, there's, there's just no way that things like this persist for a very long time. Um, and, and at the end, you lose something that should be the most valuable commodity, trust. Mm -hmm. The moment you lose my trust or I lose your trust, this is the hardest thing to get back in the world. The, you, you, can, you know what? I can make 10 mistakes. You will forgive me for these mistakes. But if I lose your trust, hmm. if, if I don't have you back, if you feel I need to watch, you know, uh, you, you know, behind my back, in case Hamza is doing something behind my back, this is the most difficult thing to lose. And we talk about relationship. We talked about, you, you know, meaningful relationships and being authentic with people. The moment there is no trust, you lose authenticity. You, you protect yourself. So you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable. You don't allow yourself to be known in mm -hmm. terms of personality and, and you keep some sort of distance. What, what I think is that coffee badging or any of these trends might offer a short term, clever, you know, solution up until up until trust is broken. And, and if you lose trust, you might as well just, just look for your next role. Right. It's, 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 um, I think you, you would, the, the only advice I would give is just don't follow that. J just team up at that same coffee machine, mm -hmm. team up tomorrow at that and, and just say, hey, why don't we all speak to the body? He's not going to fire us all. And that's, that's true, by the way. As long as, as things are, are not being driven personally against the person, but, but being driven in, in a sense that I think the team will be more efficient, we would achieve more, mm. you know, with a common mutual benefit. Then, then I think the conversation is completely, completely easy to do. Um, and you don't take much risk when you go there with three other people, um, unless he's a crazy boss, and in, in which case, just look for another job anyway. So. Yeah, and also, I suppose, it depends on the size of the company as well. If That's you're talking right, yeah. about working for like a large tech company, for example, and those yeah. are broader policies. But it brings us on to the interesting point of work working remote and hybrid working, of course, we've seen that trend. And as you said, people have feel like they found their balance. And now all of a sudden, employers are upsetting that balance. Employers probably feel like they have a reason that they need to do that, that there's a reason it's important for people to come into work. Um, how can employers handle that if they feel, you know, okay, sure, my employees have found their balance. They don't like it, but I think it's important for whatever reason that they show some FaceTime in the office. What's, what's your advice to them to go about that? It's such a good question because the way employers and, and employees are going to feel is that it's a cash 22 situation. I'm doing this because you're doing this. This is what you 
going to hear from both sides. Mm. I'm not doing this. I didn't initiate this. I'm doing this because I, I said we go back to hybrid work because I realized that some, you know, of your colleagues are are hiding, are doing these these hash trips, these mm-hmm. these the, all of these things that we mentioned, um, and and. The, the, there's always a consequence. Go ahead. I was just going to say hush yeah. trips, by the way, because we didn't mention hush that trips. on air. We yeah. mentioned it off air. Um, is the idea, and that's another buzzword that was included on this list, the idea of people who have been able to stay remote, so they're not hybrid working, but instead of working from home, actually, they're working from some far-flung location. And the idea that you know companies still want their workers to work from home, not from somewhere else. And you think if it's remote working, why does it why does it matter? It doesn't but, matter. Yeah, to continue your point, you were saying if if employees are doing that, yeah, that, yeah that they, they might they, lose so the trust. You know employers. how how sometimes I speak to my kids, and and with both of my kids, they will say it's her fault, and mm-hmm. and she will say it's his fault, uh, and and it's just a catch twenty two. And I think that this is clear. One of the symptoms, like the symptoms of that is, is, or one of the cause of that, the root cause of that, is that they're not part of the same team. They're not going in the same direction. They're not following the same vision. They're not engaged together towards one common goal. Because otherwise, in, in comparison to the goal, the behavior to have in relation to that goal mm-hmm. should be very easy for both parties. But as long as we have this thing where employers are the enemy, or employees are the the slackers. Um, we, we're never ever gonna get through this. It's 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 I think a question of let's have a common vision. Let's all decide what do we need to do, how do we need to do it, what about working hours. Let's have a decision and then we stick to it. Let's have a vote. Okay, if there's equal, I'll I'll make a decision, but we have to commit because this is our common vision, guys. If you don't want this. This is not a place where you're being forced to stay. You've got to be in a place where, in a team where you want to achieve what the team wants to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that these conversations are important. They're tense. They could be tense. But oftentimes when you see mistrust, employers mistrust employees because you will always have one, two, five employees that have been abusing yeah. their trust. And, and of course, because of one, two, three bad apples, you know, the, the, the change happened. And, and on the other side, employees are not going to see that. They're going to see, I've always been true. I've always been fair. Why why is he, is he applying this? Why doesn't he tackle these specific employees? And for employees, it's very, very difficult because there's a lot of fights that you avoid because you know that these fights are not something you want to have every single day or week. Mm-hmm. These fights, sometimes you want to, Say, hey, listen, at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter or performance review, you're going to say, hey, I've, I've, I've noticed that you sometimes do this, sometimes do that. So it's not, oh, he's doing something. Why don't you speak to him immediately? There's emotional management. There's a lot of different personalities in the team. There's, there's, it's more complex. But the bottom line is, if you have a situation like this, I would say, I would ask people, what's the common goal, vision, what's the common results we're all trying to do? And what is the best, like, like when you watch a sport, you will see a formation, a team formation mm-hmm. on w- how do we, do, how do we, um, uh, you know, use the entire field in order to win this game. 
which role should you have, which role should you have, when should you run, when should I run, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this becomes obvious when we have a common goal. So, so, you know, I think the biggest danger is to say, well, employers, right? And for employers to say, oh, employees, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, but this is going to carry on for the next hundred years. It's, it, there's, there's no end to this unless th there's a teamwork towards the same goal. Yeah, Hamza, good, really good points there that you're making. And I have time for just one quick question because unfortunately we do have to wrap this up. But a message that's come in from the text line, so I definitely want to get to it. Somebody asking if these trends are more extreme here in the region, in Dubai perhaps, because... This person says the leverage is with the employer in that employees are more disposable because it's an expat society. For example, if you don't want to work so hard to find, you can leave. We'll replace you from the team of global market of, of talent. The idea that people here as employees are a bit more replaceable so that employers have a bit more power and leverage. Do you see that? Is there anything that resonates with you in that? The, 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 way, the, the way the question is framed is, is what I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. I agree with the the fact that yes, the um, uh, you know labor law are more permissive to terminate someone's employment, uh, and and they are more permissive to resign as well. And I think that if you believe in a free um, society where where people can choose to work together or not. Um, then you have to embrace the fact that there's some sort of volatility or some sort of risk associated to that, which which means that people are human, they, they, they're subjective, they're emotional, and things can happen indeed. I agree, but not necessarily because it's an expat society. I think it's, it's all about, you know, it's Dubai, you know, one thing we forget, so now, and this is completely connected, is that Dubai is so entrepreneurial. People come here, set up companies. When they set up companies, they create jobs. When they create jobs, it allows people from other places to say, I don't want to live wherever I live. I would love to live in Dubai. If you make these laws more difficult for employers, you tend to destabilize that entrepreneurial mm -hmm. um, um, aspect of Dubai. And, and that is so important to the economy. The way I always, and this is what I've been saying earlier, is that you're selling your services. You're an entrepreneur. You can't be upset at the client to say, I'm no longer happy with your services. You, you can't do that. If you truly are selling your service, if you're an employee in a government job and you feel your tax money owes you that and there's some sort of entitlement, yeah, I can understand why you would feel maybe some sort of, well, the employer should keep me regardless, whether he's happy with me or not, whether he's 50% satisfied or 20% satisfied, doesn't matter, he should keep me. Otherwise, this is unfair. Well, I would say what's unfair and is, is the fact that one feels more um, entitled than the other. With the, those same employees so now will feel completely okay to leave tomorrow if they want to. Mm. Leaving the employer in a bit of a predicament, oh my God, Who's going to look after this client? Oh, my God. Who's going to look after this project? You can't leave. Can you, can you say a little bit more? These employers are going to have to deal with it. But we never, we, we always have this um, 
one-sided view yeah maybe because employees are much we're like, expendable but it doesn't matter that we can leave them that, totally bingo and I, yeah. and I think we have to say well it's either you you if you make uh, labor laws more difficult uh, to, in terms of terminating an employee you've got to make them more difficult in terms of not spirit in terms of terminating an employment as well you and i then could just kind of keep going but unfortunately that's all we have time for today so thank you so much for joining us on the also show welcome. for that chat that is hamza zoali he is career coach he's also the author of the 30 day job search which i have next to me i'm gonna have to give that a read and we'll have hamza back on at some point in the near future Welcome back to The Agenda. You've got Sonal with you through to to 1 p.m. today. And we're moving the topic of conversation on to education. Now, I have to admit, I don't have kids myself, but I have a lot of friends. And I know what a struggle it is knowing exactly where is the right place to send them, some of the different factors that you have to consider. And so we are... Discussing now education consultancy Carfax Education because they have their lists, their schools index, which tells you some of the highest quality schools here in the UAE and in the region. But they've also included a new ones to watch category. And it's all about highlighting 25 schools that are on the brink of joining the top 125 globally or those that have something unique, at least, that sets them apart um, to, to add to this ones to watch list. So Fiona McKenzie, head of education at Carfax Education, has joined us now in studio. Morning, Fiona. Good to be here. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate you talking us through this and welcome to the agenda today. Now, Fiona, tell us, you already have a global schools index going. So this includes top Middle East schools within it, top Middle East private schools, I should say. Why did you guys decide to add this ones to watch list? And, and what are some of the different categories within this? It's such a good question. Um, when we do the top 125, we're looking for some really particular criteria. Um, so we're looking at things like destination data, um, exam results. Uh, we're particularly focused on how schools are preparing children for, for life after school, life after academia. So that's mm. a big thing for us. And what are they kind of bringing to the education landscape that's unique and exceptional? But there were all of these schools that just didn't quite fit into the bracket of the top 125, but also had something very unique and different to offer. So we wanted to do a section ones to watch, which could include those schools. Now, some of them are schools that are you know have all of that kind of information all of that destination data and and exam results and would be really close to being in our kind of top 125 mm -hmm. but others are very new schools so uh, they don't have any kind of exam data yet or don't have much of a track record but we've just seen them make a really big impact in the market or they're doing something different in a new country or a new region uh, that hasn't really had that type of education style before um, we also wanted to do a little focus on the small schools because there are some amazing schools out there that are really small for some children that is the perfect learning environment so we wanted to highlight some of those um, and I think the one one of the sections that I'm very excited about is there's something different and these are kind of education opportunities that are doing things very very differently mm. uh, so that's really the kind of the yeah the, the, the reason we we wanted to bring out another section to, just to highlight some of the other really top quality things that are going on that might be of interest to our highly international parents. And, you know, when it comes to some of those categories that you mentioned, uniquely small schools, especially and those that are particularly in innovative and calling those out. I often see Dubai as a place where people tend to go for the established, the sort of well-known, have their reputations. How much demand is there for parents here in the region looking for something different or unique when, when it comes to education? 
So I think for parents here, we do all tend to veer towards the more traditional, and that's largely what's on offer here. Although I think we are beginning to see, even though it's a more mature market, we're beginning to see more specialisation within the kind of education landscape here. But trust me, I have families who come to me and say, Fiona, I just want the most sustainable school in the huh. world. Help me find the most sustainable you know, environment for my child to learn. And they're not, they, they're not sort of location specific. They, they have a very particular kind of agenda. Um, more and more people are coming to us and saying, we just want want something different we want something that's not mainstream we want our kids to have the sort of skills and experiences that are going to prepare them for life rather than just for exams and you know there are some amazing schools um, out there that do things very differently very uh, things like think global school or the, or the avenues where it's very mobile uh, and you do a lot more kind of learning via project learning rather than just sort of you know learning for exams or all of them are underpinned by a curriculum but it's just a different approach and I think people are getting interested in seeing how else education can be delivered I, we all have this debate, don't we, all the time, that education, if you were to walk into your grandmother's classroom, you know, yeah. 100 years ago, it doesn't look substantially different to how it looks today. So I think it's exciting to highlight those those um, people who are sort of taking initiatives and being innovative and delivering it differently. I think it's really interesting what you just said there about people coming to you and saying, find me somewhere in the world. It doesn't need to be location dependent. So people are willing to find the best well-suited school anywhere in the world and go there to be there for their kids to get the education they want them to get. Yeah, for some families, that's absolutely the key priority. They will move wow. around the world to find the best school for, for their child. I mean, obviously, as you said at the beginning, there's lots of different factors that go into making the right choice and making well, any choice for your child. Um, but for some people, that that is a key factor for them. Right. And, you know, um, this is a global list and, and some in the something different category, the innovation related category. This is something I was personally interested in. Can you tell us about a school that made it onto that list? So I think that I think the Think Global School is a particularly interesting one for me because they do things very differently. They actually uh, travel around the world. Uh, they have three different locations each year, and in each one, they do they, they do a sort of project based um, learning experience. Uh, but they also are still doing their kind of regular curriculum, but it's all orientated and themed around the area that they're in. Um, so they're learning kind of practical skills, but they're learning through doing uh, rather than just learning from a kind of textbook. Can you explain that to me? They have three different locations throughout the year. Throughout the year, yeah. So they move their entire cohort from place to place each, you know, each kind of every sort of uh, three to four months. And then each of that's and everything is then designed around the location that, that they're in. So they have been, for example, in, pre in previously in Dubai. Okay. Um, and they will do projects with companies in Dubai, solving problems here. And through doing that, they're actually learning the kind of skills that they need both academically but also they're being educated to think more widely and to, to be you know amazing problem solvers as and they, so it's um, a different set of countries every year that they're yeah. going to it's not the same three not like they have a campus in three locations no 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 no, no. Wow, it's, that's yeah. so interesting yeah it is it's very cool <laughs> huh. and I guess parents it's more of a boarding school situation in that case where parents know they're sending their kids off for this experience yes exactly and it's residential in, in each location and, and a very small cohort of children that do this so it was funded by a, um, an American pioneer and it's and it's you know it's, it's going great guns and um, there are two UAE schools that made it onto this list the ones to watch Dara International school that was one to watch and the Royal Grammar School Guildford in Dubai was a new school to watch so tell us about these two and why they actually made it onto the list 
So Dear International is an interesting one. It's obviously been uh, around in Dubai for a long time. Um, I feel like it's been on the cusp of outstanding for a while. It's one we've been, we have literally been keeping an eye on for, for a while. Um, and then they broke through last year and got to the outstanding. And it's just one of those schools that you go to visit and it's just it's got a, an incredibly kind of positive vibe. They really have embedded the IB learning uh, kind of uh, protocols, but throughout, even though it's a British curriculum school to begin with. Um, and they're a great one for student engagement. They, uh, they've recently opened a new IB centre and they got the kids to help design that they've put the kids with the architects and said okay you know you work with them so I feel like again for us that's skilling those children to do something beyond their educational experience um, and Royal, Guildford, uh, Royal Grammar School Guildford um, they've made such a big impact on the market so quickly so a new school uh, relatively speaking uh, but they've come in here and they've got a fabulous head and she's just you know really stuck to the values of the original school and they've really delivered on what they've promised and I think as we all know that's not yeah, that's a challenge it's not always so easy to do so so, we, yeah, we've been keeping an eye on them as well. And we feel that they've really made an impact in the very short time that they've been open. When it comes to your school's index, I saw in your best private Middle East schools in 2023, almost all the schools British or IB curriculum. So is this list predominantly for a UK audience or people interested in the UK education system or, or you know, we're schools with other national curriculums like American or Indian, which is also both of those common here in the UAE. Uh, were they considered for the list? Did they just not make the cut? How does that work? They, they were considered for the list. And, you know, in other countries and other parts of the world, those different curriculums definitely feature. But I think we know from, from our experience of working with families who are looking for education in this part of the world that predominantly they are looking for the, either the British curriculum or the international curriculum or the IB curriculum. So, you know, th- this this list is very orientated around uh, highly global international families and I think those two curriculums are highly transferable so if those families are moving on they know they can pick it up and and, you know find somewhere similar in a different location and I think that's one of the other things that we've done with the one to watch category is we've introduced some new locations where we haven't featured schools before Mm -hmm. because we're seeing a you know growth in demand in Vietnam and in Japan and these are school these are areas that have been relatively sort of unexplored in this kind of international market so yeah keeping a firm eye on those two. Okay, great. And just a, f- a final one for you. You know, you mentioned that a lot of people are interested in sustainable schools, so that's a big trend. What are some of the key trends in terms of what people are looking for in schools that you see going ahead in- into the next year? Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, families and parents are looking for a, a good, solid education for their child. They want their child to, to have opportunities opened up to them. They want them to achieve the, you know, their academic potential. Uh, but I think what we are seeing is is that kind of, as I said at the beginning, you know, specialisation. So if you have got a child who's very talented at music or is very talented at drama or as a family, you know, you really want to embed those sustainability principles, then it's about looking for those and finding the schools that are going to meet you know, your expectations. And I think also, you know, if a family's like, having a conversation with family over the, over the weekend, as I'm, as I'm sure we all have, um, and you know, what we were saying is at the end of the day, it's actually the peer group you're with that make your experience. Mm. And if you know that, that uh, the other families share your values, then you're going to find a similar peer group. And that's going to be, a, you know, a, a sort of easier settle for your child. Fiona, thank you so much for popping into the studio for that little chat. It's a pleasure. Tune into the agenda every weekday from 10 a.m.